welcome to the PBE Podcast. We are live. We are here at Olympia Hills Golf Course and Event Center in Universal City, where the Austin Chalk and the Eagleford at hole number eight is actually bleeding hydrocarbons into the creek. And so it's like, wait a minute, you know, for a hundred years we've been finding oil uh, by seepage, right? Yeah, like, hey, right. if there's oil here, we should probably drill this and there's probably more of it. So one of the first questions was, I wonder if there's oil under this. You know, should we drill it? That's true. And so, Mr. Alan Lazenby Jr., we're going to start this show. We just did the golf course. We'll probably eventually get into raffle and who won this thing. They're going to get those gypsum towers. You see those, that each player that wins this tournament gets those gypsum towers over there. Yes. Yeah. So best score, walks away with some really cool minerals. And uh, we'll get into that. But first, I wanted to... Uh, Let's start with some stay positive quotes. I want to get, I want to get a, an image of kind of your perspective, your positivity, your encouraging quotes, and, and what you hear from this. So I'm going to randomly stop, Okay. and we're going to see if it hits you. So tell me when to stop. Stop. I stopped it right when you said it. That was, per, that was exactly where you said it. All right. When you face a setback, when you face a setback, think of it as a defining moment that will lead to a future accomplishment. That's true. So how Good. do you recycle a setback if you're in that moment, right? And you, and, and you, you just felt like it didn't happen. It's a setback, you know? How do you recycle that into future accomplishments? Well, first, everyone has setbacks. I have more setbacks probably this morning than most. <laughs> but uh, you learn from your setbacks. You, you gather data, and, which is wisdom, and you go forward. So... In my opinion, if you ever, you need to listen right here to your gut. Man. And I'm going to tell you, this here, besides my wife over there. She also has a gut feeling on what's going on. Unbelievable gut feeling. Actually, better gut feeling <laughs> than me. Hey, but I think we all can relate. Yeah, it's true. You just need to really listen to your gut. If your gut says do it, you pull the, you pull the trigger. I have so many friends that have setbacks and it basically sets them back, not moves them forward. So just listen to your gut. And if it says yes, go for it. And Man. if your wife says yes and go for it, you just do it double hard. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that, uh, women have a really, for what it's worth, a real sense of who you should run with, who you shouldn't run with. Wow. And, uh, Wow. That's just the truth. It's Man. The truth. And I love that because yeah. oh, the, the women are applauding. Yeah, They're well, literally it's, it's applauding. A it's a truth. It's so true. It's so true. Hey, I, there's I, my, that's my compass. Oh, man. Thir 39 years Your compass. Uh, of marriage and five years of dating before that. So Golly. it's a pretty good compass. Wow. Congratulations, man. She's a good girl. Hey, did, she, did she meet Pablo? Oh, no. All right, all right. Did she no. know you were going to meet Pablo when you met Pablo? No, not at the time. All right. The next right. day. We're, we're going <laughs> to... The next day. We'll get, we'll get into that. But let's stop it one more time. I like what you're saying. Okay, let's stop. Okay, here we go. True leaders, all right? True leaders. Mm -hmm. The leaders, the people we vote for to lead. The true leaders don't lead to gain power. They lead to empower and give power away. How do, you, how do you recycle that? Well, you don't see any of that today. And, and 
in my opinion. So that's not encouraging. That's not a mess. That's not fueling your life. That's not positive energy. No, that's a it's problem. Neg that's negative. Politics is negative energy, just period. Mm. And essentially, if the politicians are saying, do it this way, I can tell you, you better be running that way. It's, it's true. Uh, and that goes with international. I mean, you're talking. That comes from experience. That's how you we operate. don't do, uh, be a contrarian to a politician. Just always remember that because they're always, a, in the long run, you're going to find the politicians wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just true. They're politicians. Yeah, yeah they're politicians. I mean, when I think about politics, and I don't, honestly, I don't do it a lot. But when I do, I think of similar things like with geology and how we've progressed in science. Science actually moves way slower than academia, than oh. industry. It's on a totally different trajectory. We're trying to figure out what's, what's really going on with the data. And at mm -hmm. the same time, you have, a, you have a businessman that's ready to make a decision on this to make, you know, make money. And so the science is moving slow and the industry and academia and all this these people and energy is trying to figure it out while this science is actually trying to slowly figure it out, right? Because it's, it's you, don't, you don't get to talk to Earth and get an answer today about the decision you need mm -hmm. to make. The reservoirs take years to understand. Like your reservoir, when you started the heavy oils in Colombia, you probably started that with a, a bit lighter of fluid right up front and then eventually the hydrocarbons got heavier and sludgier. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So you, you got in there and said, okay, I'm going to drill this well. The first six months you said, oh man, let's drill 10,000 of these if they're going to do this. And then six months later, that had a massive decline curve and it stopped making money, right? Something happened and it got sludgier and it got harder to produce. And then in six months, you, you, you totally recycled that into a better decision. Mm -hmm. So that's a small scale of what politics are doing, in my opinion. They're trying to make decisions on information that's just not ready for them to, to sometimes do. Let me tell you. It's, that's a good analogy that you use, the, the well. When, again, my Colombian experience was in 1989 to 2000. So this is a long time ago. This is before Hey, it's not that long phones. ago. Eh, it's a long time I ago. I was there. I was but, there uh, for it. But we didn't, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have, listen to this, we didn't have horizontal drilling. Uh, right. We didn't have many things as far as technology and at that time it was just straight vertical wells heavy crude oil uh, but now with the new technology let's fast forward to 2023 or just you know mm -hmm. just now these wells the technology's just outstripped uh, it's just unbelievable what you can do and that's what I see in this industry I can't tell you when I was in school, you didn't drill the Eagleford. Right. You, you know, the source rock, you know, the shells were the source rocks, not the reservoir. Not the reservoir. And That's now, right. and where are we going to be 20 years from now? I don't know. But it's going to, I am so glad to see a, a room full of fossil fuel finders. We're not criminals. We're, you know, we're, we're we, we care about the, the geology. We care about That's the community. True. We care That's about... True. In nature, we, we really care, but uh, that's not the message that the, uh, the other side's presenting. And, and, uh, but I can tell you we're going to win the game because we have the, the energy density 
and that's what's going to win this game. In 100 years, when I'm gone, Troy's gone, you're still going to see the combustible engine. You're still going to see uh, the fossil fuel. Somebody's got to make these these yeah. uh, styrofoam cups. <laughs> I'm glad you had it. That's true. That is true. Uh, but who I don't knows? know if I, mean, I answered your question, but uh, <laughs> well, we're just talking. We're just I, I want to okay. get okay. behind the, the the philosophy of of who you are and kind of where you what you've done. I want to better understand the story. I mean, we there's a report that just came out. We have kids in the room, right? That are growing up in this. They're trying to figure out their place in the energy and yeah. density position that we're in, as you put it, energy density. And the idea was that there's the young generation is now saying that we see a future that has combustion engines. We see mm -hmm. a future that has oil and gas. It's not gonna, it doesn't work without it. And mm -hmm. they, they see that. So we have, we, the future markets of the, of, the, of the commodity is one thing. How we actually develop it and how we get more efficient at doing that, at the same time, battery technology, oh, the yeah. ability to store the energy, because right now we have to burn a lot of it and make a lot of it to sustain what we use. Mm -hmm. For these lights to work on an instant, that's a constant energy output, and when we use it, it uses it up. If we use too much of it, it starts messing the power grid and then it'll blow out. But we have enough of it being made but it, it doesn't just turn off, it doesn't mm. store. If we don't burn it and we don't use it like that, then those lights aren't gonna work. So we have to sustain that mill, right? That, that we have to sustain that energy output until battery technology advances. And I think there's a future in that with graphene. Have you heard of the, the material no. graphene? No. It's a hydrocarbon. Hmm. It's a hydrocarbon, it's kerogen essentially, it's a hydrocarbon. And it stores electricity better than any other known material. Mm. And, we, and America has a massive deposit of it in, in Arizona. One of the largest that's ever been found, potentially, of graphene. Never yeah. heard of that. It's, yeah, it's fascinating stuff. And I think there's something there. There's something with battery technology and battery, battery life expanding drastically. But we're always going to need to lube the gearboxes. We're always going to need oil for sure. It, it's, it's here. It's, uh, right. it's been here. 100, it, it's going to go another 100 years. Well, let's, and rock, then some. let's rock it back. Okay, Not quite 100 go. years, but where were you born? What, what's your story? I'm, I'm from Wichita Falls. <laughs> and uh, actually, I went to school at uh, Wichita Falls High School. My wife went to Ryder, the, the bad school. <laughs> and anyway, we met in college at Midwestern wow. State University. And uh, what was the event? It wasn't a ping pong game, was it? No, it was a fraternity mixer, Alpha Phi mixer. I tell you, it was Halloween of 1979. Yes. What were and you wearing? She Take was, me back. I was wearing a. Let me guess. Hold on. Hold on, I, I want to get medical doctors, <laughs> oh. uh, scrubs, scrubs <laughs> and a stethoscope. And Denise was, here. I think she was in a nun outfit. Oh my God, this is great. <laughs> this is perfect. And anyway, she was bobbing for apples <laughs> and she, yes. she hurt her knee. And I, being in the fraternity, I had the best, it's no joke, I was the I can go on the record and say this. I was the youngest emergency medical technician in the state of Texas in 1979. And I had the best medical kit in my 77 Trans Am uh, carried it in the trunk. Yeah. And so when everybody came back to the room and said, man, this girl just 
bumped her knee. She needed some medical assistance. I ran in. It was that was the first time I had ever seen her, and I fell in love with her as soon as I saw her. Come on, that's honest to God truth. Come the hardest on. girl to date. Uh, she, uh, <laughs> I fixed her knee, took her to the uh, uh, to her car, and I said, "Well, you know, I'd like to maybe 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 we can go have lunch next week." And she rolled her car window down about that much, <laughs> and she looked and she said. Perhaps, and then she drove off. <laughs> oh man! What the hell did that mean? Yeah. Anyway, so we literally went out to lunch the next week. Anyway, we we've met and we're still together today. Oh, so. When did you start having kids? We've uh, we have one son. Okay. He lives in London. Wow. Uh, Rob will be thirty-three. Uh, I guess uh, August seventh. Wow. So we have one one child, and basically, uh, I'm fortunate. I just have one wife. <laughs> and what's your son do no he's uh i can google it www.onepiece.com it's a it's it's uh onesies for adults what it's very, it's very popular all the hollywood elite what they're, they're into you onesies go, you go look at www.onepiece.com it's very comfortable i you don't see me what wearing one the... but uh <laughs> what the, but, is this uh, are you messing but, with what, me no, right I'm now i'm not he, he, he where's your like, wife to, is he messing with really me cool. is, and, uh, <laughs> this and is he, a real thing yeah yeah he grown he, up onesies onesie they're 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 i mean all the uh oh the kardashians the uh <laughs> jamie lee i mean fox uh all the all the people all the these older people that I know wear them, but it's called one piece. They're they're they're, they're very nice. They're good for ski wear. People go skiing and they come back and they so like, they want to set around. It's, it's, like it's, it's a zip. It's a basically zipper from here <laughs> all the way down to here. And all right, the and, reason I'm laughing so yeah. much because I'm I mean, a seven great. month old. It's a great and thing. she's got the exact same oh, thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Seven D Big dude, toe, one to piece, O N E P I E C E, all one word. I cannot believe yeah, maybe, that. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a. He's, he's got a nice side. He's got a side. They're hustle expensive, going. right? They're oh, of course. Them. I mean, if the Kardashians are rocking yeah, them, they're, 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 those things are ten thousand bucks a piece. Yeah, they're probably Beyonce, made Beyonce, or is it Beyonce? I don't know how you say it. She she rocks one. She did rocked one in Iceland, I think, wow. at a photo shoot, but. Anyway, that's it. That's what Rob wow. does. Uh, I did it's not, not see that totally, totally uh, non-energy related. But uh, well, it takes a while to make those uh, spandex. Yeah. yeah, it takes a while to make those things. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. that's cool, man. I'd yeah. love to get one that's like uh, like a race car driver well, or something. I Walk bet, around the house, with my kids. I bet we can get a PBE. Is that right? Logo on there. What'd yeah. you name your son? Yeah, his name's Rob with two B's. R O B B. Rob. Rob, and he's definitely a. R-O-B-B, not a Robert. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's our little, that's our family unit. Wow. You know? All right. Onesies, PBE onesies. I'm going to talk to Rob, see if we can get that, hand him out his gifts. Uh, uh, we, we can do that. We can make that happen. Man. All right. I didn't see it going there. I appreciate you sharing that. <laughs> well, thanks for the free advertisement. Too. There you go. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, so transition us from, you know, you, you get a petroleum engineering degree. What, what degree are you getting no, in college? I, uh, geology. Oh, okay. And uh, at, at Midwestern at that time. And uh, I went from there in, I guess, in 85 to Houston. Oh, man. And I've been, we've and been gas. in Houston ever since. Wow. We, I explored the gun site 
all the, the, the what I'm going to say, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the Fort Worth Basin. Okay. And it's hard to make money up there, or it was at that time. So I moved, and at that time, I, I, I decided it was best if Denise and I moved to Houston to be in the energy corridor. Wow. Which is, you know, it was, if you're upstream, midstream, downstream, you're, you, you need to be in, in, in Houston. It, yeah, it, but my the, opinion. The my crash opinion. of 86 is about to happen. Yeah, Did well, you see that coming? Well, didn't see it coming, but I lived it. Uh, essentially, we moved to Houston in 85, 86 came. I was in, actually, I was in Paris in February, right two weeks before the crash, wow. giving a speech to a, uh, a, a French audience on buying production acquisitions in the United States. Wow. Yeah, and it was at the, the Concord Lafayette Hotel, right there on the Champs-Élysées, and uh, that was great. Then I come home, and two weeks later, the price the crashed. Crash, right. And uh, that deal fell apart. Right, I'm sure. The deal fell apart. Yeah, they're like, oh, but, maybe uh, real estate's better. But I, I went there because I had a, uh, a friend this is a funny story, I'll just tell you quickly. Came from Paris, and he, a Parisian, uh, older gentleman, and he said, I'd like to meet you. And I said, well, why don't you fly here to Wichita? He was going to be over. He flew. Denise and I were getting married, and he was going to land the day before we were married. And anyway, so I wait. Wait to hear from him again. No, no cell, no cell phones. Phone. You didn't even have a pager. You know, no pager, no, pager. no nothing. <laughs> anyway, he flew from Paris, Charles de Gaulle, to Wichita, Kansas, not Wichita Falls, Texas. Wow, that's so different. So he called and said, <laughs> "Well, I'm here, but I'm, I said, well, you're not in the wrong. You're in the wrong city. <laughs> you know, you're in the wrong <laughs> town. So he had to actually go back to Dallas. Anyway, he we he made it. We said hello, and, and that was it. But basically, I developed a. Uh, very good relationship with that gentleman, and the name of that company is Gerex, G E O R E X. Don't confuse it with the Gerex of uh, in the UK. That's a condom company. That's okay. not that. <laughs> That's not it you. Was, it was Gerex, and basically, he w it was a big energy company. And what he did at that time in in France to at that time there was called Elf Aquitaine. And there was Petrofina and Total. And he essentially was a, what well, I'm calling the Kelly girl. He would hire out engineers, hire out drilling engineers, mm -hmm. hire out geologists to the French uh, mm -hmm. societies. Because at that time in France, if you hire somebody, you couldn't get rid of them. You, you couldn't fire them. I mean, it was it. So basically, he built it. his business model was, I'll just hire all the geologists and engineers and all the people and they can work for me and then they can go inside your companies and huh. do work for you. It was and a he way was break, he was taking and, a cut from all the he, income he, from, from their, all those their from all that. and GRX, you, they, they, they huh. went forever. Uh, it's like an opportunity. So, yeah, I met him huh. and uh, we had a, a great relationship. And at that time I told him, I said, you know, he, they were interested in, oil and gas acquisitions or exploration in the United States. And I was, at that time, found out, man, it's just too crowded here. There's mm -hmm. too many people. 
doing things here. And I said, you know, I'm going to, I still want to help you here, but I, I need to go south, to go international. He didn't want anything to do with that, but he, it was that money I was making from, from doing consulting from, for him in, in, uh, in, in Texas right. that I could, took that money and I could build my company. You started financing yeah. your own company? He finan he, that's how I financed it. I financed it by consulting contract with, with him. Wow. Right <laughs> and, on. And, and you then, went to Columbia. Yeah. And the reason I did it, it's simple. Everyone was, again, I'm a contrarian. If, if everybody's running that direction, I may run that direction too, but first I'm going to go check it out. Go check out the background. <laughs> and, and we did. That's so crazy. when I went down there, this is in the late eighties, mm -hmm. it was bad. Right. Everybody was, Exxon, every, all the big boys were pulling out except BP. BP was actually moving in and they had a big discover Cusiana and Cupiagua and uh, that really saved Colombia to be honest as far as in the uh, in the energy industry but uh, so I went down there because why here in Texas if you put a deal together you may have to have a hundred landowners or mm -hmm. you know or just a lot of people mineral ownership. mineral ownership it's yeah. it's it's it but let me tell you that's uh, finish the story in Colombia you deal with a government and you could lock up big tracts of land very inexpensive for just what they would call a, you know work programs and that's what we did we went in down there and we did not I did not discover Ruby Alice Ruby Alice was actually discovered in 82 in a stratigraphy drilling program by Exxon. Oh, wow. Exxon was drilling 10 stratigraphic wells wow. across the country. And what happened in one of these stratigraphic wells of Ruby Alice, they found a 30 foot oil column at 2,500 feet. On a structure? It was sitting um, in a. No, set, no structure. It's just a, uh, it, was, it, was just, it was just a strat well going, they were going from the uh, Pacific coast all the way to the, uh, uh, to the jungles of uh, uh, the, the Amazon, just doing 10 strat wells across the country. Wow. And this has just happened to be one of three strat wells they did in the Llanos Basin. Did so you have special access to this? How did the, you get that, that data? Ecopatrol. Uh, All the data that everything you do in Columbia goes to at that time, it's a total different situa situation now, but it went to Ecopatrol. So Ecopatrol had all the data. All you had to do is go in, look at the data, and my problem is that discovery, there was no, it was a rough neighborhood at that time because there was no infrastructure. There was no roads. Whoa. There was nothing. You're, you're the, it was like there indigenous was the Meta people? River. Oh, there, no, it was the, well, the indigenous people would have been the Medellin cartel, cartel labs that was out there in the area where they cooked the cocaine. To, and while I was in Colombia, I'll be very honest, I never saw anybody, any Colombians using cocaine. It was all huh. for market here in the United States, all for market here. And they didn't have a drug problem. They Not didn't sure have a drug problem. Huh. They, they, had a, they had a shipment problem, <laughs> how, to, how to get it here. They were too busy to have a drug and, problem. And so, but my point is, that's a tough neighborhood. I had to deal at that time that we came into the picture 
we, I was the one that was responsible. I had to produce, a, I had to show Echo Patrol that it was commercially available, viable. And I had to produce a million, to do that, to show the reservoir was viable, I had to produce a million barrels of oil. Holy cow. And that's hard to do when you don't have infrastructure. I didn't have a pipeline, I didn't have a, and, and I was, I was 700 miles from the closest refinery where I could sell the oil. What? And not only was I 700 miles, no, 700 kilometers, excuse okay. me, 700 kilometers from the closest refinery, but in between the field and the refinery was the Andes Mountains. So, I mean, it was tough. So I had to truck oil 1,400 kilometers round trip what for one for 130 barrel that's a, that's load of oil miles. because yeah because at that time you could use a two, most trucks 200 barrels but because it was heavy crude you could only carry 130 it was like you could only carry more than 130 you carry barrels 130 barrels that is pretty heavy so dude you're t- it's, in the Andes it was really <laughs> tw- 12.3 gravity but I always oh, fudged man, and called it 13 <laughs> so it just sounded better you know 13 it's a fibonacci number yeah. 13 so so what we did is we had to build roads Jeez. we used we used the asphalt from the crude oil wow. to build the roads and we were very uh uh, we used everything that we could, but basically out there at that time, I had to deal with the, the Medellin cartel, the guerrilla groups, there were two guerrilla groups, FARC and ELN, bad boys, the communist groups, uh, big, big, big kidnapping. That's how they make their money is kidnapping executives, et cetera, et cetera. In addition to that, you had the U.S. CIA, you had the U.S. DEA, you had the Colombian Army, you had the Colombian paramilitaries, which the paramilitaries are who the ranchers would hire to protect them against the the uh, FARC and ELN, the communist groups. You know, it was a tough neighborhood. I mean, a very tough neighborhood, and I am happy to say. By 1996, I produced the first million barrels in Rubialis, wow. trucking, trucking. Trucking a million. I, I had, I think at that time, we had 140 trucks, 140 trucks running around the clock. Wow. Trucking, at that time, it was 3,000 barrels a day. I did, did get it to, get it up to 3,000 barrels a day. Man. And uh, now, it's with, on pipeline, and I think it, it was in, uh, it went back to the government 100% in 2016 at 225,000 barrels a day. Wow. And it's, I think it's currently doing, I still keep up with the people. Is, you got an override in that? Is it? No, not no. No override. I sold it. Uh, you sold the we override? Sold, we sold we, 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 we There is no way officially you can have an override legally <laughs> on that concession. What if you just pay a bunch so of taxes? So we just had to sell it. We, we, we just sold it. Jeez. But, uh, yeah, and it's made now over half a billion barrels. Oh, my It's on. It probably has another 250 million barrels left. It'll make about 750 million barrels. And it was a big blob. When you sh- 4.2 billion barrels in place. 
When you showed up to this area, you talk about yeah. no infrastructure, no roads, yeah. right? No electricity. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you go back today, like if we were just to get off a plane and start going that direction, what would you see today? It's totally different. It's, it looks like a refinery out there uh, where uh, when I was wow. there, it was very simple. Basically what I did, and I'm proud of it, I took the good old boy Texas development phase down to Columbia, and I don't say this wrong, versus the big company versus the Exxon, you know, development phase. And I was drilling those wells. The, the competitor there was drilling his wells for about two and a half million dollars a well. And this is a 2,500 foot well. Whoa, wow. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, yeah, 2,500 feet. And I, my very first well I drilled was half a million dollars. Wow. That's a big, big cost savings. Yeah, and the problem it. with that again was was there was no infrastructure. So my mob de mob on every piece of equipment I moved out there was heavy. But once you got it there, it was there. Right. You know. But it was, it, it's it was like a an offshore drilling operation onshore. Wow. In the middle of the jungle. Instead of the water. I the say jungle. the jungle. It was not a. I don't know if you have the pictures, but yeah, it's it's rolling hills. But basically, and, and the people out there, I had to. Uh, Troy, I may be getting off base, but what we did, the people out there are very poor. Uh, they they had uh they they had to get their water from the the rivers which was relatively good water but this is strange to say our rubialis produced water was fresher and better water to drink than their water in the river and across so the whole field across it was like the that? whole field our field it was a fresh it's a big oil and gas reservoir hydrodynamic trap with fresh water the fresh water was going into the basin and the oil was trying to go out of the basin. And what this is oil, this was Kupiaga, Kupiagua, Kusiana oil. Those wells are about 17,000 feet deep. Oh, wow. And this is oil that had spilled over, spilled out of those deeper structures, and it was on its way out of the basin. And over time, it, just, it was just a 4.3 billion barrel blob of oil that got stuck. <laughs> because the water, the hydrodynamic trap kept it there. Right. All the light ends had gone off of it, and it was just a big blob of 13 gravity oil. Just sitting there, big blob, big blob. Jeez, and, what uh, a wild story and, and, that is. And, and, well, the good news is, this, it wasn't salt water. It, right. it was fresh water, and basically at the time we did this, or developed this field, I, I, think, I think we were environmentally friendly back then because we had to figure out what to do with all that water because those wells when over two or three years they would get up to about a 90 percent water cut 10 percent oil so if you're making 3,000 barrels a day that's 3,000 barrels a day of water i mean of oil and then multiply that by 10 that's right. how much water so we decided and it was really funny. We said, what are we going to do with all this water? And what we did, we, we actually trucked some of that water, potable water, by some of our trucks that we had to these, these villages, and we gave them fresh water. Oh, wow. I mean, it was, good, it was a good deal. And then the rest of the water we used to grow trees. I had a big tree farm, 
and I actually what kind of grew, trees? Uh, just native. It wasn't pecan trees. I should have done that, but uh, <laughs> it was. I can't. I don't know what kind. But it, we grew trees and basically used the water from the field wow. to water the trees. So yeah. we had we had a big tree environmental tree farms. Look at that. I'm talking. I'm talking. Ten thousand acres. Wow. Yeah. A lot, lot of water, a lot of trees. All those people harvesting it all. Yeah, and, and then the, there's jobs for them. We had right. at, when we were developing Rubialis at the very beginning, we were building the rows and all that. We had about 300 out there in the field wow. that were working for us in the field, and then at night they disappear. They go to their communities, and a lot of those would work in the cartels in the in the, the to cut the cocaine. Mm -hmm. And that's, they disappear. So we, we saw them during the daytime. We didn't see them at night, but we had to coexist. We, I was not a drug runner. We weren't in the drug business, but we had to coexist with the Medellin cartel and with all the, right. the other people. And the only way I could think of common thread to make this work, I'm gonna tell you, it has to work for everybody. If you're in a business deal, it has to be a win-win for every person around the table. If it's not a win-win, then that deal will fall apart. Right. So we had we basically worked all those juggled all those balls, and essentially we decided instead of like the big companies who would spend a lot of money on security. Right. In the field, I mean, I mean, if you oh, would go to a BP facility, it would look like a prison camp. There was guard, you know. Uh, yeah, they want people guard. To be held they didn't. I mean, you were a prisoner inside this big deal, but that's how they protected sure. the drilling. And then there's the 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 gorillas are up in the mountains shooting at them. Wow. I mean, it's it's a crazy deal. So what we decided is, if you or you know, I did at that time. I said, if we take care of the locals they will be happy and they will tell the the FARC and the ELN That's that right. we're good guys. Yeah, it's probably like the, the, hey, like they're, the, they're hiring 300 of us to work here. I mean, they, in, a, in a place they didn't have any work except in the labs. Right. Yeah. So that's what we did. We, we built, uh, I built hospitals too. And basically would give the kid, give the kids fluoride treatments, uh, we took care of it. They didn't even know what a hospital was or a clinic. I guess you'd call it a clinic. We, we did build a bigger hospital too. And then for those, I built two or three barges and you're not going to believe this. A, why would you need a barge in the middle of the jungles oh, of Columbia? Yeah. The Meta river is a big river that runs through Columbia. And in some parts of that, there's lots of piranha and those piranha love those little kids. Whoa. If they were crossing. So what we, before we would build the barges, most of the people that lived there would essentially cross the river. They would take a chicken and they would cut the chicken's head to, to get the blood. They'd put it in the river. The and piranhas would go after and the it. piranhas would go after that, and they would come upstream. I was just and cross over. I was wondering if yeah. they had a trick. If I ever that, encounter piranhas, yeah, I find a chicken, chicken. Find you a chicken. Distract yeah. them. Get across the water. I was just yeah. thinking. I wonder if there's yeah. a trick to this. Or your wife. You know. <laughs> oh damn it! <laughs> Don't do that. But uh, 
I need your. Sorry, honor. I guess I shouldn't be chomping eyes <laughs> when you're on the speaker. But uh, that that so we, we did that anyway. Long story short, it's great plan. Sounds like it's going to work. It did for about three years, and then all of a sudden, uh, capitalism comes into the picture, and everybody doesn't think they're making enough money. You know, the people in the field don't think they're making enough money. The the, the community kind of says, you know, maybe we need, maybe you need to go after some of those guys because they're just not paying us enough. And anyway, what happened is one day I wake up and, uh, what year? This is in 97. This is in 97. This is, this is after Escobar. And basically I had five employees kidnapped in the field. Boom, gone. And that's a bad deal because, like I said, it's a business in Colombia. And it took me, long story short, it took me six months to get those husbands. I had five wives and 14 kids mad at me. Gosh. During, I never, one of the worst Christmases I think we ever had was in 97 at home because I, I was worried about these guys. I'm happy to report every one of the, all those guys came out. They're okay. Yeah. It did take six months, and I think, Troy, I'll tell you that story. I Once, again, no cell phones, no activity, and how when, once they were kidnapped, we knew they were kidnapped because the field told us they were kidnapped, and then we waited. In three days, somebody came to our office and brought us a piece of paper and slipped it under the, uh, the door, and it said, you know, contact us on this, you know, radio frequency, shortwave radio frequency tomorrow at 2 p.m. So basically that's how we, we, we always talked with them was by shortwave radio. What was we the didn't first conversation? Right? What was uh, the first, the first conversation is we, you know, got your guys, da, da, da. Are you being aggressive or are you trying no, to be No, no, no. They weren't aggressive. We weren't aggressive. They were just saying, you know. It's going to cost you some money if you want these if to if you want to see oh my these God. guys again. It was a pretty brutal wake up call, but anyway, uh, that started. And then after the length of time, it gets longer and longer. You get a little more frustrated. You get a little more frustrated because there was just no action. Meanwhile, these these guys, three of them, were treated like kings. They were the prisoners. The of prisoners. There, we, well, there was five in the two different groups. One was the LN. One was FARC. The FARC treated the guys like prisoners. The ELN treated the guys like they were kings. In that wow. they would give them mosquito nets to sleep at night. Now remember, these guys are up in the in the Andes Mountains. It's where usually the, these kidnapping camps are, and they're moving every day. They move, 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 so that if the army's chasing them or somebody's trying to get them, they're, they're not going right. to find them. Right. And so basically, with that, the guys, there's a lot of mosquitoes, so they sleep in mosquito nets, and they were giving my guys the good mosquito nets hmm. and Coca-Cola, really? plenty of Coca-Cola. <laughs> and, and these three of the gentlemen who were missing six months had... It was, it was like a vacation. They were outdoorsmen, and they went fishing. They saw places in the Andes that they'll wow. never see again. Wow. It was kind of like a uh, vacation. Except for uh, your families of, back home. Yeah, you got, except you they didn't know. And then the other three guys were 
taken by they were treated miserably they were they were uh, locked down uh, every night shackled uh, where they couldn't escape and uh, they weren't given mosquito nets they were weren't hardly given anything so those those uh, those, I'm not saying, those two guys so we had I had five three and two the three came out okay the two and then eventually about three months into it we asked for proof of life to prove that the guys were still alive. You know, we needed some proof. Did you get, I mean, at some point you bring in someone who knows how to communicate this situation? Or are you like- I can't tell you everything on that, but I can tell you we had professionals from day one. Okay. Yeah, you can- You you were approached by professionals that told you they were missing. We we had professionals involved. We had a, 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 a scenario ready if that happened. And so we brought in a professional negotiators yeah. to, to, to negotiate. And that's the deal. You take the emotion out of it. Basically, you let them take care of the problems with the, with the other side, and it removes us from the, uh, the emotional attachment. Man, yeah, but you're left with the emotional attachment well, of the family. that's the problem, mm-hmm. and that was the problem because I had responsibility for those 14 kids and five wives communicate and right? you yeah just try to you can tell them and you, you you can only tell them what you know Stay so it was positive. a it was a hard six month expenditure well anyway one 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 time when that we we asked for that the negotiator said well we just need proof that these guys are alive and anyway they said okay and usually what you do there is you either get a newspaper and the guy holds up the paper, and it's the date, and it shows him, you know, okay, well, he was at least alive the day that, the you newspaper know, the date. newspaper. We didn't do that. We basically just asked for some proof, <laughs> and we got it. They sent in, in, in Houston. Now, I'm in Houston at this time. I mean, going back and forth, but basically in Houston, I would get a Federal Express package the office kind of starts going crazy i hear women screaming and i i go in i said what is what's going on i didn't know what was going on and what happened is we received a beautiful finger with his wedding band on it this is wedding finger with his wedding band and it was basically a uh Says that this is this is his proof of life. The next proof of life will be his head. And by the way, we know where you live. You know, in Houston. So it, the point of that was to get our attention that okay, this is getting getting serious. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's that's what happened. And then after that, we kind of gave up and just kept contacting them and anyway long story short one day a young boy comes to the uh the office young colombian boy maybe 14 and asked to speak he wants to speak to the gringo well i was the gringo so we said well what do we have to lose let's talk to him and essentially he he said my uncle was one of the leaders of the guerrilla groups and he said 
we can, we can fix this problem really quick if you'll just pay money yeah. and, and do that. And uh, I said, okay, well, let us think about it. And this is, anyway, long story short, we, we decided to go that route, and we prepared two Samsonite suitcases full of dollars, lots of dollars, and we were told to give it to the Red Cross, the next, you know, have a rendezvous with the Red Cross. We gave it to the Red Cross, and when we did that, I told my general manager, I said, you know, we may not ever see any results from this, but at least, you know, it's the best we can do. Man. And lo and behold, two or three days later, all five of those guys were out. Wow. Every one of them returned uh, to Bogota. And <laughs> when the one guy with the wedding band got there, he had his finger. He had his wedding band. I mean, he didn't have his wedding band, but he had his finger. So we don't know. We'll never know whose who's finger that belonged to, but Man. it was, it was so, there. To get a better idea of like the Pablo Escobar history, what did you know about him? What, and, and what was, how dangerous of okay. like his, his cartel? Now we're going back, that was 97. Pablo was long gone by then. In 90, I met Pablo in 92. Why did I meet Pablo? In Rubia, our field was about 200 kilometers from Bogota, uh, as the crow flies, 2.3 miles. Or something yeah, like it's that. a long ways. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. Uh, and I say that 200. I think it was 250 kilometers. What by the as the crow flies? What happened is, as I tell you, remember the the cartel, the Medellin, the labs are in the in the same area as our field. So, what there in Colombia, you have to have permits for airstrips if you have airstrips. And I had, I had three airstrips that I used to fly all of our supplies from Bogota to, uh, to, to the Rubialis field. And it's miraculous. When I didn't have those airstrips, we used trucks to bring the supplies from Bogota to the field. And I, don't, I cannot understand why, but every time we did that, only about 30% of the supplies would make it to the field. By truck, I don't know why, but you know I have a good reason. You know, anyway, everybody got a piece of that truck That's on the right. way driving there. I started flying the DC threes, and man, a miracle, 100% delivery. You know, not a problem at all. So that, but we had to have permits with the Colombian Army for those airstrips for specific lengths. Those DC threes, I think we were at 3,500 or 4,000 feet runways mm -hmm. and that was it so anyway what happened all of a sudden in 91 92 all of a sudden the army were calling us and said we're getting ready to blow up your airstrips and I said why are you going to blow up our airstrips we have a permit and they said well have you seen your airstrip I said no uh, you know and to be factual when I operated Rubialis those years. I only went there. I was only in the field two times. 
Wow. Time. It was too the dangerous. Whole time. A, helico- a helicoptered in, and they couldn't even stay 10 minutes and helicoptered out because you're kidnapping victim. Right. Or you, you could be. And I didn't want to take the, I just didn't do that. And basically, my staff said, you don't need to be doing that. But the, uh, we, uh, all of a sudden, those airstrips overnight were getting lengthened from 3,500 feet to 5,000 feet. Bigger plane. Concrete for jets. <laughs> yeah. Lear jets. Asking and essentially, it wasn't us doing it. You know, yeah. and basically the Army said, you know, you got a permit for this and this is it. And we're going to blow up that section. So we started, they started blowing up that longer section. And we didn't know what was going on anyway. Long story short, we, after that happened several times, we finally got a, uh, I got a phone call or we did where it said, okay, uh, he wants, he Escobar, he wants to meet the gringo. This is it. This time he was out of prison. He had put himself in a self-prison because he didn't want to be extradited to the United States. And his agreement with the uh, with the country was that he would he would put himself in his own prison. Okay. Okay. So that's what he was doing. So basically, he broke out of that that deal fell apart. He broke out of that prison. So he was kind of on a run on the run about a year between the time he left that prison and I believe they they shot him in Medellin but and that's that's the time where I met him and he uh we didn't he wanted to meet because he wanted to know why the runway was you know and we were we're, we're neighbors again I was in a very difficult neighborhood and we we went can't tell you all the details, but all I can say is I had to go see him. It was a nervous day. And we I went there, went to see him, and when we went there, he had rented, I guess, or we didn't know where we were going. I was we were we were, I was uh blindfolded. And uh so was the other two guys with me. We were blindfolded. To not know, but then when we got there, they took the blindfolds off, and mm-hmm. when you were at, we were, we were at one of his uh, uh, restaurants that was closed that he had rented, and basically it was an interrogation to see why, why are you, who was really behind, yeah, all who, this? who, why are you, because I kept telling him it's not me. Anyway, we told him it wasn't us, and this, this, and led to another thing, and and for he had his first his. Two, when I met, we met with his first, what I'm gonna call his right hand, right hand lieutenants, and these right, these guys were, I'm gonna say one was I think Harvard educated, and the other one was Yale, a big, I mean, huh. very impressive. They spoke better English than I spoke, and they they said, you know, we need to know. Anyway, the the three of us were talking to them and. They said, okay, and that they left. And basically, we were set down to have lunch. And uh, I can't go into everything, but uh, it was a very nice setup. He had about 13, 14 girls in the room, too. And there was only about four or five of his guys. So I don't know what those girls are doing there. But 
They were there. You know, I mean, that's it was, how he uh, rolled. Yeah, it was that was his playbook. But uh, he uh, he came in. They went back, talked to him, and the next thing I know, we're sitting there eating, and he walks through the door, like over there, and I never forget. He had a little straw cowboy hat on, uh, brown boots, uh, blue jeans, and a brown uh, oh what's that. Uh, Oh, you know, dressy uh, cowboy shirt. What? Yeah, and and he he came in and and he looked at and and he's not very he's maybe five eight, and I was a little, a little taller than that, but he was very charismatic. I mean, he, the energy in the room just changed with him. And long story short. He sat and we talked and he said, I can fix the problem now that I know you're not the problem. And we sat there for a while and we said, well, what, what do we do? And we said, do we write this? Is this some type of agreement we write up or what do we do? Mm -hmm. And he basically whop, hit the table real hard. And he said, no. He said, my word is my bond. And he said, I expect your word better be your bond. And we said, ooh, okay. Mm -hmm. And that was it. We left that meeting, but before we did, he said, by the way, he said, I want to tell you something. He said, uh, I appreciate what you're doing for that community. He said, I get it. And he said, you know, you're, 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 you do community assistance. You built the hospitals. You built the barges. Wow. He said, uh, you're good. He said, you're, you're good company. You're good company. He said, that." I want you to know I know that because everybody in Colombia, for the most part, they love Pablo because he was the yeah, I heard that. Oh yeah, he was not a he was hated by the the government and the uh, the army, you know, and he did a lot of bad things. I mean, he blew up airplanes. He when I lived in Colombia, I would wake up two or three times in the morning in Bogota with plate glass all over my bed my windows would have blown out because they had car bombs. He would put, he was terrorizing the people in order to put pressure on the government, not to his biggest fear. And it never, never happened was to get extradited to the United States. And so basically he had all these, these, uh, wow. these terrible tactics. There's no doubt he was, <laughs> he was a bad guy, but, but, uh, he had a heart for the people. That's, that's what I can say. So anyway, long story short, we left. Uh, we never had a problem again with the longer runways. And, uh, <laughs> and he, he, uh, he did everything he said he would do. The reason I tell you all this is it's not just what you learn in your textbooks in school. And uh, there's life experiences. And man, mm-hmm. Don't grab them, take them, do it with gusto because you only have one chance. And if your gut tells you to do it, you better start tomorrow or start immediately. And that, that's it. I, I, I look at it. Would I do it again? Yes. Because uh, I look at all the experiences I had out of that and it was, it was something else. Sheesh. I don't know if that answered. I, there's, there's a lot more to all, uh, but I just got to watch a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. Now we transition into the completion part of, of the show and talk more about, you know, the learning from all that. 
I imagine, you know, history is repeating itself again. It's just, it's changed its form into, you know, the, 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 the opposition of oil and gas development. It could mm -hmm. be the cartel, you put whoever you want as an opposition, but there certainly still is one. And the fact that when you actually learn what oil and gas is doing, and you, and you, you want someone to change, but your perspective doesn't allow you to understand how that change mm -hmm. needs to happen. Unless That's you true. go out and, and try to do it yourself, which they'll never do. Yeah. They're never going to try to get into oil and gas and produce energy for the world to use. No. But they're going to tell you you shouldn't do it. Yeah. Right? But your story, and I think the story still today, is, is just as important as that go and do it. We need it. the energy. Yeah. Go and do it, and everything's going to work out. With gusto. <laughs> with, with gusto. gusto. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll finish with one thing that I that I think is the funniest part of this. Once we paid, again, the Medellin cartel was really never a problem with me. It was the guerrilla groups. Mm -hmm. Once we paid, we filled those Samsonite suitcases up with money and we paid the ransom. About two weeks went by and we're sitting there, and I was at that time back in the office, and uh, <laughs> somebody says, that young kid is here to see you again. And that young kid, that 14-year-old kid that told us about his uncle, who gave the money, he had those two Samsonite suitcases with him. And I swear to God, he came in and he said, my uncle said, you're a good man, you're a good, per a good company. And he said, we're honorable men. These are your suitcases. <laughs> That's the way it ended. And they were not, they were empty. <laughs> oh, man. They were empty. Damn it. Wow. I don't know. That's it's pretty cool. Yeah, well, it's it was pretty an interesting, cool. interesting day. Where, how do you see, as, as a professional now, being through what you've done, are you seeing a lot of investment opportunities in oil and gas right now? No. What do you see as a professional in this? In, this on the is fringe? interesting. I, uh, uh, I have right now probably, I call it my swan song, the best portfolio of. 32 prospects, all 3D, analog, conventional, in red states. And it has been hard, all 3D shot. We've spent a lot of money. Yeah, so you got great and, control. And we've got, oh, everything. Everything's 3D control with analog. It's 80% gas, 20% oil. The it's about an 80 to one return on your investment fast. That's, yeah. that's it. My point being, it is, I am, I'm about $10 million short of raising 40 million, and it is the hardest $30 million I've ever put together. And it's, it's a wildcatter's dream for me, it is, and I see that, and that is, that's so hard to put together for the fossil fuel. Fast forward, I have a, another green project in California, of all places. 
that's a biomass plant. It'll be the largest biomass plant built in California. That's turning coal, uh, turning turning biomass. Into... Turn, basically, I'm out there in the San Joaquin Basin, the great around basin. the uh, oh vineyards. Yeah, and, Bakersfield and the side almond. Yeah, Baker, side. yeah, lots Baker. of yeah. This is right out. This is Mountain View. It's 20 miles from Bakersfield. Wow. One of the best projects I've ever had. Went in there, drilled a well three years ago, and it was the best well. It was the best well in America, the best IP. It made that well made 600 barrels a day for two years, just nonstop, wow. water free. Uh, there in Bakersfield. And the landowner made so much money, and he had specifically the vineyards okay. as well as the uh, the uh, almond trees. Okay. Half 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 of his property, and I have a picture. I need to send it to you. It was it's a picture of me at the wellhead with the vineyards on one side and the almond tree. It was a co. We were co. Again, it's the same theory. We were we were coexisting. We were coexisting, and he came to me, and he said, Alan. Where do you want? To, which vineyards you want to tear down next? Because he was making more money on his royalty on his 600 barrel a day oil and gas well, and he was 89 years old, oh, wow. and he was the happiest guy. But my point being, being out there and seeing all the almond trees and all that, we had another idea that you know, well, let's take this biomass because they those almond, this biomass project is a half a billion dollar price tag, half a billion. I raised that money in 90 days for the biomass biomass plant. I can't even (laughs) find the extra $10 million for the best conventional oil and gas play, 80 to return on investment at these prices. So you asked me where we're going. Yeah. Uh, Listen, fossil fuels is here. It's going to be, and those deals are going to get done. It's just harder to you have what I've learned out of this, you have to find the chemistry. All mm. the big money, or the in the fund money, has gone to the ESG projects. I mean, or they're they're just ESG sensitive. And I find the family offices, uh, people, uh, the wildcatters, or people that have there's still money out there. It's just harder to get. It's harder to get, but I'm telling you, the day is coming, and it's not soon. I mean, it is soon. I think it's three years away that everyone is going to really, they're going to just, they're going to see where it's so lack of oil. Right. I mean, of, of, of the fossil fuel. Right, of that energy. So I, I see it. And this, like I said, it's going to be here forever. It right. is. It's just, it just may be harder to get the money until this and i'm sorry until this uh green this pixie dust uh <laughs> and it's and it's sad because it's the governments that are pushing it well it's certainly it's a the lot governments of money. are pushing but my point is i'm i'm a contrarian i'm running the opposite direction yeah and i may be right it may be wrong but uh i sure am gonna have fun as you can tell i've had fun doing exploration yeah, you know, uh, the modern exploration in this whole area right here in Balcones Fault System, I think, oh. is wide open. I think there's so many spots in between all those little fields, like a Somerset, and in between that mm-hmm. and Bigfoot, or the 
all these little leases, Lavernia, all these little leases, I think the whole system is way bigger than we, yeah. we, we think it is. I, I th there is so much oil and gas to be found right here in just the yep. great state of Texas. Still. Yeah. Still. So get out there and explore. I'm just, just make sure you're driving the F-150 F gas trucks and not the uh, <laughs> Tesla truck. <laughs> I like the Tesla, by the way. I don't have any problems with it. I just, I just don't drive one. <laughs> well, shoot. I mean, that's the completion part of the show. We talked about energy, the future. We talked about your story. Uh, any questions from an audience, yeah. maybe? Yeah, what do you got, Cassiano? What do I do now, right? What do you think drives people like that have that independent attitude? I hate to say this, but I think it was my stupidity. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I look at it and I think, man, why did I do that? But no, you know, I have always been opposite. I'm a big, I, I really believe in being a contrarian and at least running that opposite path until you see, oh, you better go figure out why everybody's running the other direction. And that, that's it. So my, and, and, I, and let me tell you, gosh, thank God we have academia because I learned more in that classroom uh, than, I mean, as far as uh, exploration geology I got to keep talking this way, but then, then I could have learned, I guess, from personal experience. But what I'm, I'm trying to trying to answer your question: What did I see different? I guess it, when I did that, it was not that hard to get on a plane. And man, now it's difficult. I mean, it's just a total different environment now. But at that time, it was not that hard to get on a plane. My wife will tell you, I got on a plane, and I said, I'll try to call you when I get to Columbia. But there was no guarantee. They are having telephone strikes or this or that. There's many times I went down there, she didn't even know if I made it or, or if I was coming back. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was that. But I guess it was the... Uh, I was in it for the, ex at that time, I was just excited there you go. To, to do things. And it was, it's really, I'm afraid if I had gone to work for major, and I have, let me tell you, I have many friends that have had fantastic careers in, in the majors, and I applaud them because they're happy. And, and they've made a lot of money, and they've got a nice nest egg. And, sure. And they're great people. That, I don't think I would have lasted in a major three weeks. I'd been fired. <laughs> I'd have been fired. Uh, uh, you know, you just, yeah. again, it's, it's my gut. I guess it was really my gut. I'll, I'll end this and I'll say this so you need to know. I'm very religious. Uh, you, you couldn't tell by the, 
the way I'm talking about stuff today, but, but I believe that this is God's plan. It, God's plan was for me to meet her, uh, you know, the stability in my life. And at the end of the day, that energy, you know, mm. we used to talk about fossil fuel energy. I talk about energy from the Holy Spirit. I'm just telling the truth. And yeah. at the end of the day, that's back then, man, I was following that more than anything. I tell you, when you're called to meet Pablo Escobar, you better have some, you better have some higher energy. That's all I can say. And, and, uh, and that's it. So I, I've relied on, on, uh, I don't know if it answers your question, but I've relied on God. I've relied yeah. on God. He, I, he won't, he, the Holy Spirit will, the Holy Spirit, in my opinion, is your gut. Right. You get that gut feeling. That's, that's, Man. that's him telling, go for it. My daughter's only four, but I'm already trying to get to the concept. I'm like, look, when you're approached with a problem, you're going to feel an instinct. They answer. And yeah. nature is positive and negative. Energy is positive and negative. There's, you can't have a positive without the no negative. negative. So I tell her that you have an instinct, and that's telling you, you you're, you're either going to choose to do something positive or negative in that moment, whether it's push your brother or take something or whatever, right? You're yeah. going to have the option. And in that moment, that gut feeling is that I think the understanding of where am I going with this? What is my gut telling me? It's positive it's or energy. negative. That's right. And just go with that gut feeling and, and go positive, right? You always want to go positive. So that's, that's true. Stay positive book. Thank you, Alan Lazenby Jr. Oh, well, thank you for having me and thank you for listening to probably a boring podcast. But, uh, <laughs> it wasn't you for stayed. Me. You stayed. It wasn't for me. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you.